This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray. Almighty God, illuminate our hearts in this Advent season by your word and Holy Spirit. Give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and awaken our hearts to your enduring love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, like the children, one of my favorite things about Advent is indeed the Advent wreath and the candles. The Advent wreath helps us wait by visually marking time. We see the four weeks leading up to Christmas unfold as each candle in its turn is lit. As Jay Cormier writes in his Advent devotional, The Season of Light, the Advent wreath is a symbol of our faith, that light and life triumph over darkness and death, that our hope in God's providence and love will never leave us disappointed. Advent is not only about candles. Advent is about preparation, preparing our hearts once again to remember the advent of Christ, his coming at Christmas, and to be watchful, alert for the Lord's second coming, his certain return. Today's gospel reading is focused on Christ's second coming, what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I find great comfort in this passage. No one will miss the Lord's return. The sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens will become like a celestial billboard announcing the return of the Son of Man. Everyone everywhere will see Jesus coming in clouds with great power and glory. The second coming will be such a spectacular entrance no one will miss it. What a contrast to Jesus' original arrival, which happened in near obscurity. Most had no idea that God had come into the world as a baby in the person of Jesus. Sure, there was a star in the east. Yes, there were angels who announced the news to the shepherds, and wise men from afar followed the star but few were aware of this Bethlehem birth. By contrast, Jesus' second coming will be an interstellar worldwide event that no one will miss. While Christ's return is assured, the timing is unknown. Watchfulness is needed. Not only, not because it won't happen, it will, Jesus assures us in verse 31 that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about the hour or the day, Jesus continues, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven, not the Son, but only the Father. Those listening to Jesus would have recognized the familiar Jewish apocalyptic language. His descriptions make reference to Old Testament images related to the end days. Wars and rumors of wars, darkening sun and moon, and Israel being gathered back to Palestine. These signs of God's return were what the Israelites were waiting for, looking for, 
longing for. Even today, people long to know when the end will come. Modern-day prognosticators try to guess the date. How many times have we heard so-called prophets reading the signs and coming up with a date only to have that date come and go? Speculation is futile. Better we join Jesus, who is content to leave the timing in the hand of his heavenly Father. But will we be ready? What does it mean to be ready? I once saw a bumper sticker that said, Jesus is coming, look busy. And while that's humorous, I don't think that's what Jesus is seeking, busy-looking people. That's the last thing most of us need to hear. Rather, Jesus warns his followers to pay attention, to keep alert. In verses 33 to 37, Jesus says it three times. Verse 33, be aware, keep alert. 35, keep awake. And 37, keep awake. Jesus' call to us is not to fearful living, but a call to attentive, intentional, and faithful living. It's not a call to anxious expectation, but to wakefulness and watchfulness. Jesus' command in verse 33, be aware, keep alert, is basically saying, look out, don't fall asleep. Often the temptation in waiting, especially if it takes a long time, is to get bored, distracted, and even sleepy. Waiting is hard. It can be made easier if we know the duration of the wait. We have a better time tolerating the wait if we know when. I think that's why some companies, when they put you on hold, give you an expected wait time, right? They are managing your expectations, thinking that that will make you better able to wait. Giving you this information lowers anxiety and gives you the impression that you have choice and control. But not all companies do this. Sometimes we have no idea how long it will take to speak to a real person. And this is when boredom and distraction creep in. I imagine many of us have been put on hold and made to wait for so long that we, we start doing other things to make good use of time. And when we finally do get through, we discover we're not ready. Perhaps like me, you've wandered away from your desk, you no longer have access to the information that you needed to have in order to uh, have the call work. And then in a panic, even though you've had all this time to wait, you're not ready. Jesus warns us that something similar can happen in our spiritual lives. We can become so distracted and preoccupied that we forget God. In verse 35, Jesus again challenges us to keep awake. Jesus calls his followers to vigilance so that we would live our lives in such a way that it won't matter when the Lord returns because we'll be doing what we should be doing. And what is it that we're meant to be doing? Well, telling people of God's love for them, loving our neighbors, cooperating with the Holy Spirit to bring God's grace and reconciliation to a broken and hurting world. We do this as we show up at work, in the classroom, in the hospital, in the workplace. We love God in our neighbor and our neighbor as we 
help with homework or Zoom school or change diapers or care for elderly parents or all the things we do in the ordinary daily routines of our lives. When we are awake to Christ in our lives, we find in the ordinary the extraordinary. Faithfully loving God and loving our neighbors makes a difference. We don't have to look busy because in attending to the various duties with our eyes on Jesus, there's no reason to fear. Rather, we live in confident expectation that the master will one day come back and see our work. There is no shortcut to Christian living. There is no circumventing the spiritual formation and maturation that happens in the waiting as we go about each day seeking to follow the Lord and obey his commandments. Just as in the parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids, there's a point when it's too late. No amount of frantic activity to fill the lamps with oil will help. The banquet doors will be closed. Or in the parable of the talents, there will be a time when it's too late to make a return on investment. Jesus's warnings to keep awake are his call to faithful, attentive living. It's not about heroics. It's about attending to the day-to-day -day life Jesus has entrusted to you. All of life is preparation for meeting Jesus, our King and our Judge. It's all about Jesus. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, it's one of the first things that we notice. It's all about Jesus. Eight times in nine verses, the name of Jesus Christ is invoked. Paul puts Jesus front and center, front and center of his own life, front and center of the Corinthians' lives, and front and center for the meaning of all life. And what difference does this make? Seeing life and one another through the lens of Jesus changes everything. Lenses can distort or bring clarity. We know this from experience. I know this from experience. Without my contact lens in, I can't see beyond the end of my hand. But with the corrective lens, my perspective improves and I can see clearly. Or think of what you can do with a camera lens. You can blur a background and bring what is in the foreground into sharp relief. You can create beautiful and dramatic effects as you work the lens and change perspective. If Paul were to look at the church in Corinth only through his natural perspective and not through the eyes of Jesus, he might agree with one commentator who wrote, the church is a fellowship of sinners before it's a fellowship of saints. But Paul looks at the church with Jesus' eyes. He sees them as saints as they one day will be. While his greeting to them is full of grace and peace, Paul is not writing as an optimist. Much of his letter is filled with strong words of correction and needed rebuke to this unruly community. Yet, through the Jesus, a Jesus lens, Paul sees the church from an eternal perspective. Paul anchors his hope and trust in the faithfulness of God and God's ability to transform lives into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. 
So when Paul calls the Corinthians saints, he's seeing them through the lens of Jesus, who is, who is at work within them. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is making them holy and set apart for God's purposes. And like our gospel reading, Paul too speaks of a coming day, an ultimate end, a day of judgment when the Lord will return. In verses 8 and 9 we read, He, that is God, will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. As N.T. Wright observes, This is a day like the day of the Lord, when the hidden truth about the world will be unveiled. This truth will turn out to be a person, and the person will turn out to be Jesus. That's why it's the central badge or sign to call upon him, to pray to the Father through him, to learn to love him, to know his friendship and love throughout our lives, to have his name always in our hearts and often on our lips. When Paul sees the church, he is awake to the reality of God's faithfulness. God has given them grace, given them Jesus, given them everything that they need for everlasting life. I wonder, when we look at our times, what lens do we use and what do we see? I think perspective can help us navigate this pandemic. One day, just as the pandemic of 1918-1919 ended, this too will end. But when it will end, we don't know. When we'll have access to vaccines, we don't know. How long immunity will last, we don't know. How many will die or live with long-term effects, we don't know. What will be the economic and psychological effects of isolation, we don't know. Yet perspective offers hope and assurance that one day this will end. If we look at our experience of this pandemic through Jesus' eyes, what might we see? I think we would see both the ordinary and the extraordinary. We'd see loss coupled with an invitation to mourn with those who mourn. We'd see loneliness coupled with an invitation to visit, to call, to connect with others. We'd see despair coupled with an invitation to hope, to help, to heal. We'd see anxiety coupled with prayers for God's peace, grace, and mercy. We'd see growth in the waiting. We'd see birth and new life would see ordinary people doing extraordinary ministry empowered by God's Holy Spirit. When we look at ourselves or our Christian brothers and sisters, it matters which lens we look through. Like Paul, we need Jesus' eyes. And by God's grace, we need our eyes wide open, anticipating the day of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, this Advent, as we light our candles and mark the days to Christmas, may we see one another with Jesus' eyes, see each other through the lens of his love, grace, and mercy. 
May we be alert to his call in our lives and awake to the promptings of his Holy Spirit as we love and serve one another. Amen.